0: This time of the year there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow always stay on sidewalks never go to a stranger's house and never go
1: out alone there
2: is no God!
0: what shall i say when he knocks on my door what shall i say when his feet enter softly leaving the marks of his grave on my floor enter my lord Come from your prison, come from your grave, for the moon is risen. Welcome, my lord. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. It's here. Can't you feel it? It's alive, watching, waiting. Oh, yeah, but... He's beaten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you got to do. Don't mean you have to like it. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow?
2: All right, all you movie junkies and cinephiles. It's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim.
1: And welcome, one and all, to episode 302 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Ford Displacement episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that the displacement in cubic inches of Ford's 5.0 V8 just happens to be 302. And, of course, it also happens to be part one. Of the Halloween Horror Cast 6. I don't know, maybe there's gonna be like some kind of like number, you know, after I say Halloween. Clapping thunder yeah. and lightning.
3: You didn't hear it, Matthew? What was there? Yes, uh, so, so Halloween Horrorcast Cast
0: 6.
1: And, of course, bringing you all of this wonderful nonsense is, of course, myself, Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny, yet horror-filled California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. What's going on, dude? Not
3: much, man. How is uh, the Halloween spirit over in the McQuintock family residence? Are the the kiddos, all the little kitties, excited to go out and do a little bit of trick-or-treating? Or trunk or treating, whatever floats your boat. They, they
1: <laughs> I believe they are. I, of course, have to work, but I have found out that the eldest child, uh, was wanting to be a zombie cheerleader. Classic. And I actually, I don't know what the other two want to be. I, I think w- the youngest is. Kind of on this Ursula kick from The Little Mermaid for some reason. And maybe I think that's what she's going to do. And then the middle, I do not know at all what she is planning on doing. I do, however, know that my eldest is now too old to go trick-or-treating with her sisters and her mom. And so now she goes trick-or-treating with her friends. Really? Yes.
3: Do they go just right there in the cul-de-sac in your neighborhood? Or is there like a cool neighborhood where all all the
1: kids go to now? No, no, it, w- our neighborhood is actually pretty cool in terms, I mean, because the elementary school is based here and there's still enough kids in the neighborhood that everybody pretty much just trick or treats here in the neighborhood. We don't have to go anywhere else to like the rich neighborhood or something like that. It's pretty cool. I'm very excited that they don't have to go anywhere and it's nice. So providing the weather holds out that I, then I, believe they will have just a fantastic halloween like last year it rained on halloween and so they only got to go for probably 25 30 minutes before they had to run back to the house and they still in just that amount of time just that amount of time they still all three of them had enough candy to last them about three months really Yes. That's impressive. So maybe they just, everybody saw the rain was coming and with just what few kids were running by, they were just dumping. But I mean, they, for that little amount of time, they had a huge freaking haul. I was, I could not believe each one of them had gallon sized Ziploc bags, multiple full of candy. It actually poured
3: down raining, right? Like it's not like it sprinkled or just rained a oh, little yeah, no, bit. Got, it like, like
1: thunderstormed. Like, yes it was it was rough i they they i i don't remember what libby was last year but whatever it was the costume was i want to say waterlogged by the time she got home because she was the last one in because she that was the first year that she was too cool for school and had to go off with her friends to go trick-or-treating so she was the last one in and she was drenched
3: Yeah, I don't know if it was only my sister's neighborhood or if other uh, neighborhoods did this as well, but because it rained and there were a lot of little kids that live uh, in this little neighborhood in Tomball, Texas, they ended up having trick-or-treating on uh, November 1st, so the very next day to make up for the rained-out day so all the little kids can Mm. still walk around the street and... We
1: did not do that. It was Halloween or bust, and the... I don't, like I said, our kids did well, so I was not too concerned with that. Not to mention, life is full of disappointments. I recently found out that there was a cut <laughs> scene, a, seriously, a scene cut from the, uh, from, from the 1970s, the Gene Wilder version of Willy Wonka. Okay. Where they cut to this, they go to India and there there's this guru that they go and visit the the news people go and visit much like you saw in the factory and the kid the western kid who won and all that stuff and so they go to this guru and they say what is the meaning of life and the guru just looks at the man and asks for a willy wonka bar And the guy's like, okay, so they get him a Willy Wonka bar, and he opens the Willy Wonka bar and sees that there's no golden ticket inside, and he just looks and says, life is disappointment. (laughs) And the scene cuts away. And they made him cut it because they felt it was too depressing. And he's like, I put it in as a joke. I mean, it it, it's kind of real, but it is a joke as well. And... He thought it was hilarious, but the studio made him cut it because they said it was too depressing. And the moral of that story is sometimes Halloween gets rained on, kids. Sometimes you don't get to do what you want to do. Life is full of disappointment. Get used to it. It's what you make of it. It's not, let's make up for it, kids, and have Halloween on November 1st. (laughs) But that's just me. Maybe I'm the asshole. Well, uh I
3: should say that my nieces and nephews are under the age of 5.
1: So easier it's easier if you start them young. <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's so much easier if you start them young. Don't don't fill their heads full of crap, you know. <laughs> well, do you do, do, like for your kids, for your girls, do you guys like make your costumes at home or do
3: you actually go to the store and buy the accoutrements
1: honestly it depends it, it really just depends uh sometimes money's a factor sometimes time's a factor but we have done it all we have actually borrowed costumes we have lent costumes we have done like a costume exchange thing once where all the moms got together and we're like oh look at it and traded out costumes and stuff we've made the costumes and when i say we i mean my wife because she's like super crafty that way i'm not talented in that regard so she's awesome and does that and they have picked their own and made their own from the stuff that they have in their rooms and we have gone and bought costumes we even have gone and bought like nice costumes i remember when merida was the big thing the pixar brave movie and we spent like the 70 dollars on the merida dress and everything one year i was like good lord we better we better be able to get this for, through all three children. All three children must be able to wear this dress to cover the cost of it. But, um, yeah, so, we, so we have done it all. I think this year we are doing, well, I, they, they're putting some stuff together. Cause like I said, Libby wants to be the zombie cheerleader. And then I think someone else is like lending a costume or something for one of the kids. So it really is an amalgam. That was way long way of saying we do it all. Why do you ask? <laughs> My sister and my
3: brother-in-law, they, well, he doesn't, but she uh, kind of makes the kids costumes, especially my nephews. He has sensory sensitivity, so he's very particular about what he can have on, so he doesn't do well with masks or wearing particular like material. Mm. Mm. And at their school, at his kindergarten, they have, like, a costume parade where when the parents come bring their kids in, they're dressed up in their Halloween costumes or, I mean, obviously school appropriate, and they do, like, this little parade. I believe it was last year. My sister made him an apple costume. I forget what the name of the book or the cartoon was. but uh, Actually, no, no, The Very Hungry Caterpillar was the book, and he loved that book. Oh, okay. And so he wore an apple And there was a caterpillar coming out his backside, so it kind of looked like a tail, but it was a caterpillar. And every (laughs) single picture that my sister took of him, he looks like he's in the worst place ever. He's crying. It's just not very good at all. And so this year, she made a good dinosaur costume, and I forget what the dinosaur's name was he had like a backpack like a good dinosaur backpack that my sister made the face out of and then she made the tail and i think the backpack had this little latch on it to hold the little arlo caveman kid from the britches or
1: something isn't arlo the 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 dinosaur's name because i thought the boy's name was like spot or something like that oh really yeah well okay i don't remember enough but okay
3: dinosaur and boy and Uh, He was a little bit happier this year. It looks like, but still, it's great when you see surrounding him in these pictures because they're back in Texas. All these kids that are happy to be wearing their costumes, but then he's like the only sad-looking kid there. I don't. I I just find it hilarious because he has no reason to be sad, and it's just kind of cute watching, looking, uh, you know, seeing him upset
1: wearing these homemade costumes. That is funny. We have a picture from when Chloe was a baby and it was the very first time we're trying to get her to take pictures and it was just not working. She was not having it. And somehow we got her in this picture where she's got her stuffed animal next to her. She's got this like teddy bear, this, and she is just screaming and it almost looks like the teddy bear is attacking her. (laughs) And she's just like, it's encapsulated it's this perfect moment encapsulated, and it's our favorite baby picture of Chloe. Poor child looks like she's being tortured. <laughs> yeah. So I I assure you that your sister will look back on these with much fondness and joy, despite the probably momentary irritation of them. So tell her tell her not to despair. If she looks back on these pictures right now and she's like, "I can't believe he's the only one not happy," then you know, I, don't I, worry, you'll I, feel I better about you.
3: laughing at him later on.
1: Yes, yes, life is full of disappointment, kids. Anyway, the uh, moral of that story.
3: Well, Matthew, we do have an update in the whole Harvey Weinstein Weinstein Weinsteinman news. And it's not looking good. have you have you heard about this?
1: No, I, I actually I have not. I, I do know that the rumblings from my bowels may have wanted to talk something about this, but we we, we shut that shit down, so to speak. I, I have no I, I have no idea how we're segueing into one of the things we're doing this week's. So I don't know if that's where you're going with it or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, in reality, no, I have not really been following much of the Weinstein thing other than some girl put a video up where he was very, very touchy feely with her, and she then claims that he subsequently raped her. Everything but the rape is on the is on the video, and yeah, that's the only thing I' read, and that was a or watched read slash watch it was an article with the video. And that was about mm, two or three weeks ago.
3: Okay, well, I think we need somebody more qualified uh, you know, from the depths of hell to comment on this before we mm. actually get in, into real news. So, Matthew, I need you to go and find some of that moldy-ass eggnog that I'm sure you have in your refrigerator from three Christmases ago, or some of oh, that yes. old pumpkin pie that's just been incubating and... The core, the depths of your oven for the past 20 years that you can eat and hopefully don't, basically needs to come back out from the lower half of your body opposed to the upper half of your body.
1: I think, I, I think we can do that. Give, give me just two moments. I'm going to mute the microphone and step away and go do that.
3: Do 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 do. This Halloween you can make 18 Halloween foods so oh gross it's scary from delish.com. Ladies' fingers and men's toes, guacamole eyeballs, spooky fingers. I'm back. All righty, welcome back. I have gone.
1: I have gone and back I have even made sure that it's. You can hear the curdles in there. This is the eggnog from three Christmases ago. And, uh, we shall, we shall partake now, and, uh. Oh, oh. oh it's so bad. It's so terrible. I, oh, God.
0: <clears throat> I'm
1: gonna keep, force it down, though. Keep it down. All right Keep it down. Hopefully, it's very quick, quick- a- Oh, jeez. Uh, oh, God. No, not God. Uh, actually, very much the opposite.
0: Oh,
2: jeez. Uh. Hello there, Tim.
3: Hello there, Satan.
2: Long time no see.
3: Well, it's been about a year, right?
2: Just about a year. How, how have you been doing?
3: Oh, I, I've been doing. I've been doing well. Any news from the depths of, of Matt's ass? Is there anything that we need well, to be worried about? He,
2: he's got a few, he's got a few polyps in there that should probably be looked at, but, um, I've been making sure that he, that they'll be very slow acting so that by the time he finds them, it'll be far, far too late, far too late. But that's okay because that will just be that much sooner that I get to transfer myself from my ass to your ass. And, uh, then I believe we'll be in good shape. Well, I'll be in good shape. One more soul and all of that. <laughs> Speaking of souls, I hear you're talking about my buddy, Mister W.
1: That is, that, can't that's wait correct. for
2: that guy. Can't can't wait for him. Him and Spacey. I'm I'm so excited. You have no idea.
3: And and by Mister W, we are talking about Harvey Weinstein because I guess Bush was also a W it must mean a lot to Weinstein that he has dethroned
2: oh, oh we, we don't do presidential jokes just for the record all presidents end up in hell doesn't matter who they were or how good you thought that all of them end up here so so don't worry if you, no matter who you think you like or don't like they'll all be down here the W guy the orange guy um, you know everybody's favorite guy that was shot in a limo back about 50 years ago everybody They're all down here, don't worry.
3: (laughs) All right. So, in the case against Harvey Weinstein, CNN Entertainment, or CNN.com, is the case against Harvey Weinstein Unraveling, written by Elizabeth Joseph. This is a proper news organization, I suppose, depending on who you ask, I guess. Straight out of New York, Harvey Weinstein, the disgraced movie mogul whose alleged sexual assault sparked the international MeToo movement, may be sentenced to a lifetime of shame and ridicule. Legal experts, however, now indicate he may never see the inside of a jail, let alone go to trial to face his accusers. The case against Weinstein is, quote, unraveling, end quote, High-profile defense attorney and CNN legal analyst Mark Geragos says, citing the infighting between the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the New York Police Department as one of the main reasons he believes the Weinstein case won't go to trial. Quote, if you're on the defense here, you just sit back and watch them cannibalize themselves. End quote, said Geragos who has represented high-profile clients such as Michael Jackson and Colin Kaepernick. In October 2017, The New Yorker released an audio recording of Weinstein speaking with model Ombria Batalana Gutierrez as part of a 2015 sting operation. Without consulting the DA's office, the NYPD set up the sting after Gutierrez told authorities that Weinstein groped her a day earlier. In the recording, Weinstein makes Potentially incriminating comments to Gutierrez, apologizing for touching her breast. Weinstein was not arrested or charged with a crime at that time. Quote, while the recording is horrifying to listen to, what emerged from the audio was insufficient to prove a crime under New York law. End quote. Chief Assistant District Attorney Karen Friedman Agnafio said, defending the DA's decision not to prosecute Weinstein. After the tapes released, the New York Police Department and the Manhattan DA's office traded public finger-pointing. The infighting, Garago says, is symbolic of this, quote, political hot potato, end quote, case, where the lines of public opinion and in-court litigation are getting blurred. Quote, a criminal courtroom is not a pretty place, end quote, he said, quote, certainly not a place to litigate social justice change, end quote, Ever since the New Yorker's bombshell reported detailed allegations against Weinstein, ranging from aggressive overtures of rape, his accusers and their supporters have called for justice. The NYPD encouraged the public to call in tips related to Weinstein to the Crime Stoppers hotline, and investigators cast their nets wide with police investigating sexual assault accusations in New York, L.A., and London. More than 80 women, of course, from those struggling to make it in the acting world to Hollywood A-listers such as Gwyneth Paltrow and Selma Hayek, have publicly accused Weinstein of unwanted advances. Of the dozens of accusations, only three were deemed by prosecutors to be within relevant statute of limitations, incredible enough to build a case against Weinstein. Uh, and I'll just end it with this. The prosecutor was charged in May with rape, in sex abuse in cases involving three women, despite credible claims, recent missteps by the former lead detective handling the New York uh, the New York sex crimes investigation against Weinstein highlight his defense attorney's position that the investigation is flawed. Uh, the article does go on for quite a bit more. Uh, if you want to check it out CNN.com is the case against Harvey Weinstein unraveling, written by Elizabeth Joseph. Satan. I know, that was probably a lot of drama to be slapped in the face with when you just came up for air.
2: Oh, well, that's okay. I I, I love drama. I That's the whole reason I invented reality TV. I, I think that it doesn't really matter. I'm Remember, I'm going to be receiving him. Anything that he has done, I will be making sure that it is taken care of. Now... I think that the best thing to remember is that if this man did this kind of stuff in New York and this kind of stuff in California, he probably did it everywhere. So think of all of the film festivals just here in the United States and all of the different states and think of all of the film festivals all around the world. I would imagine that someone somewhere will be able to get him so that he will be dealt with. (laughs) Now, I also think that it could be fun, I think, personally, as someone who's much more into sadistic, evil things, I think it's much more fun to watch this man be harassed on videos when he goes into restaurants, and to be this public pariah who is slowly but surely going through every penny he has to defend himself against all of these things, which we already know he's guilty of, and that is fine. And you just watch this man become this poor, broken down, miserable, he may even run out of money for food. It probably doesn't look like that at this point, especially since you can still get a cheeseburger for a dollar, but I would say that he might even lose some weight.
3: So now, a a moral question. I know this might be difficult for you, Satan, uh, but I know Mm, with other discussions of of people who have been accused of committing uh, wrongdoings, but they went to court and all these legal battles and yada, 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 and it came out that when the gavel came down, it was deemed that that person was innocent. Yet, they have all... like, Like Woody Harrelson... Not Woody Harrelson. Woody Allen. I'm sure Woody Harrelson has a few things against them, but Woody Allen, with the whole molestation case and you know there have been some court proceedings there's been stuff handled out of court and not, he has not been charged with anything and when we discussed last Matt I know or I remember said that he's never been charged or not charged what's the word I'm thinking of because you can be charged with something
2: <laughs> He never convicted? There you go. I presume you might mean to say.
3: Exactly. Like, he's never been convicted. And so, uh, you know, it's like, well, there's always that. So we can't hold too much over his head.
0: Well...
2: What do you
3: think about, but with Weinstein, though?
2: My thinking is, my my thinking is, is that while we want to... Well, I don't want to be fair. I want everyone. I want strife all of the time. But let's just... let's, Let's play... Let's play me advocate, we'll just play me advocate right now, and say, perhaps it should not be limited to the one, right? So, for example, the Woody Allen, there was just the one accusation, and that was defensible to whatever extent that you wanted to say, and there we have, but then let's take a look at Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby didn't have just the one, now did he? He had 37. And (laughs) surely 37 different people won't just make things up. And perhaps out of that, you might get a conviction or two. While Harvey Weinstein doesn't just have the one, and he doesn't just have the 37. He's got 666. <laughs> I love that joke. It never gets old. <laughs> I, I, I think it is the, the just sheer number of them. It's the sheer number. There's so many. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I am sure that we will be able to make room in his anal cavity and penile cavity when he gets down here that, uh, won't be able to make up for anything that he does not get convicted for while he maintains his mortal form and again i want to go back to the fact that he still could be convicted especially if he runs out of money and if he runs out of money and he loses all that weight he might be more attractive in jail for when all the bad things start happening there
3: oh you mean like forced soap droppings yes when you don't even need the soap or be in the bathroom it'll just he may even
2: be able to hold the soap up there <laughs> when when they're done with them.
3: All right, Satan. Before at least
2: it'll be clean. That'll be good.
3: <laughs> uh, before I uh, ask for Matthew back, so we can continue mm. on with the show. Yes. Uh, what did you think of the film Hellfest? We covered that a few weeks ago, and Matt and I both thoroughly enjoyed it. Is that a direct representation of hell? Is that some of the tricks and treats and frights we can expect? When we are in hell in hell in hell?
2: Oh well I think it's a good start. I I, I, I I think that Hellfest represents like the you must be this tall to ride, but it's the kiddie version, so you can't be over the height limit because if you're over the height limit you're probably too old for it. Well, Hellfest is like that. That's that's like the, the kitty portion. You, you, you will see the greatest of the greats and the evils of human history. The, the really powerful demons will be the ones having coffee like at a McDonald's. This is, Hellfest is like the playplace at the McDonald's. And you'll see them watching over you, waiting to plan what it really is you'll be going through. And as Martha Stewart would say, looking forward to her too, by the way, that's a good thing.
3: And then finally, any plans for Halloween? Any destruction of anything in particular you're up your sleeve or
2: Yes, yes. I my plan is my my plan is actually to find a way out of Matt's ass and but before that, make sure to plant in him and demon control him so that he will take some poop that I am in, and somehow get it to you so that you will ingest it. And then I can come out of your ass sooner rather than later. Don't worry, he'll still die. That's
3: got to be time. a very creative way to get me to ingest some of Matt's fecal materi- material.
2: Well, well, perhaps it wasn't such a bright idea to tell you, the, the, but it may, may make it more fun for me now to try and work a special way around that. I would just say avoid shaking hands with anyone. Definitely don't put their phones against your face. That would probably be the best way. (laughs) Or is it? (laughs) Alrighty, Satan,
3: well, thank you very much. And I would like to say, screw you for your work. And I assume it was your hand in the Halloween sequel that came out this past weekend. It was truly not
2: good. You didn't find out that I recently changed my name to... Uh, John Carpenter,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you didn't know that. I, I have a, I, I also have a second pseudonym by the name of David Gordon Green. You, you didn't know that, Tim. So well, did you, we must talk about that soon. Did you
3: spread Matt's fecal matter, or like, did they ingest Matt's fecal matter? Jason Gordon Green, John uh, Carpenter, and All I'm John going Carpenter to say is Pride that there and...
2: was a meet and greet, and Matt was there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying.
3: They're gonna look back in the, at the pictures, the photo ops, as evidence. And there's a really creepy. It's gonna be one of those like the horror movies where if you look at it, you'll see like the go the uh, a shape of Satan, like the face of Satan, like in Matt's forehead.
2: No, no, just a shadow. It'll be Matt, but the shadow on the wall will be, will be me. But Matt is so large, his shadow's so big, you can't actually see me in the outline. Oh, God. It's fine.
3: don't. <laughs> All right, Satan. It was good chatting with you. It's always a pleasure
2: well i it, the pleasure is truly all mine thank you so very much for taking the time out to pull me out and talk we'll do it again soon sounds good <laughs> <laughs> oh good
1: lord what i i assume we had our visit is that can I can I safely assume that
3: we did? Yeah, uh, we talked a lot about Harvey Weinstein, and he Ooh. he shared some views on it. Surprisingly, that I think you would agree with. We talked a little bit about his hand in the making of the new Halloween movie, which Matt, I know uh. you loved.
1: Oh yeah, can't wait to talk about that.
3: Yeah, we also talked about Hellfest a little bit. So you know, same Ooh. old, same old destruction, damning of folk. He's up to no good. Good deal. We just won't be shaking hands for a while.
1: But I like to shake hands. That's that's my... I mean, I guess I could hug. Would you prefer a hug?
3: No. Uh, there's going to be a 10-foot proximity
1: <laughs> barrier. I guess you'll have to explain that to me later then. So what's next on the agenda, sir? How about some news? Some more news. More news? Oh, that, I guess that's right. You already shared some news with Satan. So yeah, we should do some news then, folks. Here we go. It's... THE NEWS! And because Matt was working on something for part two, Matt doesn't have any news. So Tim has graciously decided to do the news pieces one at a time so that we can talk about them. And... Go! All right, I'm going to get non-horror-related
3: news out of the way, and it's just this one piece from io9.com. Someone used a deep-learning AI to perfectly insert Harrison Ford into Solo, a Star Wars story. This is written by Andrew Lazuski and it says this, Casting anyone other than Harrison Ford in the role of Han Solo just feels like sacrilege, But since Harrison Ford is now 76 years old, playing a younger version of himself would be all but impossible. Or at least impossible if you rely on the standard Hollywood de-aging tricks, like makeup and CG. Artificial intelligence, it turns out, does a pretty amazing job at putting Ford back into the role of Solo. The YouTube channel... DerpFakes has been posting videos that demonstrate the impressive and at times frightening capabilities of image processing using artificial intelligence. Using a process called deep learning, an AI analyzes a large collection of photos of a given person, creating a comprehensive database of them, and in almost any uh, of them, in any, almost any position and pose. It then uses that database to intelligently perform an automatic face replacement on a source clip, in this case replacing actor Einrich's face with Harrison Ford's. As we've seen before, like when deep learning was used to erase actor Henry Cavill's Justice League mustache, the results are not only good, they're actually better than the visual trickery that Hollywood visual effects studios are capable of. And that was the end of the article. Matt, what do you think about these people, like derp flakes, utilizing... This AI artificial <laughs> intelligence trickery, I guess, uh, just on these little side projects. Do you think it's you know a, a, you know a little too far fetched? Do you think it's actually pretty cool? Uh, do you think it, it's something well, that maybe I think the
1: idea? I think the idea is really cool. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I love the irony of someone being using the pseudonym or the username of Derp Flakes and. In order to do something so cool. But, uh, I mean, I would check it out for sure. I I'm, I am didn't realize that there was a deep learning one where they took out Cavill's mustache. I would probably go and check that out because I'd like to see a good version of Cavill with no mustache instead of the train wreck that we got.
3: It's actually pretty good. It's pretty cool looking.
1: And, I mean, I will say, though, that it is pretty interesting that they're doing that. I... I I'm sure Hollywood will find a way to fuck it up because they can and do on a regular basis, but I mean, I'm sure there will be some little golden age of this and it would be really cool to see. I think it would be, I think it would be a lot of fun.
3: Well, here, just so you can kind of get a look at what this, like how good <laughs> this AI technology works, uh, check this out and let it, let us know what you think. You have to watch the whole video, you can just get a, a taste of it. And if, uh, if you just want to look for the video at home, uh, you can just there go to YouTube okay. and look up Solo, a Derp Fakes story.
1: <laughs> oh, Derp Fakes. I thought it was Derp Flakes. All right, hang on. Ah, uh, that is pretty good. I mean, it, you can tell that it's definitely... You, you, you can definitely tell that there is still work to be done. It's not 100% natural when he's speaking, but in terms of just the static look and movement, it's... It's really good. I'm impressed. Now, I only watched the, you know, 10, 12 seconds there, but I'm sold. I would pay for development.
3: Yeah, and again, go to YouTube, look up Solo, a derp fake story, or check out this io9.com article. Someone used a deep learning AI to perfectly insert Harrison Ford into Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, But the last thing I'll say is that I think using something like removing Henry Cavill's mustache... I mean, studios need to utilize this for things like that, because the removing of his mustache looks 85% better than how it actually turned out in the final movie. As for my next piece of news, brought to you by broadly.vice.com. Broadly is a subsection of vice.com. Why some anxious people find comfort in horror movies. This here is written by Abby Moss, and it says this. Like around 5% of the UK population, I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. When I was a kid, I would worry about certain things, usually catastrophic in scale, but blown entirely out of proportion. When I was 10, I learned about comets at a museum. For weeks... I'd lie awake at night worrying that a comet might be heading on a collision course with Earth. As a teenager, I believe I suffered from every incredibly rare and fatal disease I saw on TV. These days, my anxiety manifests in a way that's much harder to explain to people who haven't experienced it. Imagine a sort of mild feeling of dread, a bit like the fear you get when you were hungover and when you did something but don't know what that but basically all the time i'm lucky that my anxiety is moderate enough for me to handle it without medication i do rely on regular exercise not drinking too much and just keeping tabs on my own mental state on a regular basis but when it gets really bad there's one instant fix that makes me feel better a horror film the gorier darker and more disturbing the better Last week I watched Would You Rather, a low-budget, plotless gore fest with a Netflix rating of 2.5 stars, the cover image is of a razor blade right next to somebody's eye about to slice into it. You get the idea. When I first noticed the effectiveness of this unconventional way of coping with anxiety, I pretty much freaked out. What was I, some kind of psychopath who derives comfort from suffering of others? Is it just me? I asked on the Reddit forum for the topic, Is there something wrong with me? She asked. While horror films aren't a true alternative to seeking medical help, if you need it, I was nevertheless inundated with responses from people saying that they'd noticed the same thing. Quote, I too have noticed horror movies make me feel better," end quote, said one user. Quote, "It creates a different anxiety, an anxiety that isn't about me, you know." End quote. "Yes," said another person. Quote, "I think it's because you're scared/slash anxious for a real reason." End quote. And the person says, quote, "I become worried about whether someone's going to break in or I'm going to see a ghost." versus whatever silly thing I had been worried about earlier. To find out why some anxious people like me are self-medicating with horror movies, I spoke to Dr. Matthias Klassen from Aarhus University in Denmark. He's been studying the psychological effects of horror movies for 15 years. "...exposure to horror films can be gratifying when the negative emotions caused by the film are manageable." Moreover, there's psychological distance when we watch a horror film. We know it's not real, or at least some parts of our brain know it isn't real. Other parts, ancient structures located in the limbic system, respond as though it were real, quote. He explained that this creates a flight-or-fight response, but confines it to a controlled environment. Quote, I'm not surprised to learn that some anxious individuals find horror films therapeutic the genre allows us to voluntarily in under controlled circumstances get experience with negative emotion and all quotes there the article does go on for quite a bit more if you want to check it out it's via the sub category on vice.com broadly why some anxious people find comfort in horror movies. Written by Peter Burnick. Matt, what do you think about this? Do you find comfort in horror films? I, I never really thought about it too much, but over the past mm. couple years, I've I've self-diagnosed myself with anxiety, and um, I, I mean, especially when I was younger and feeling the same sensation, the same anxiety sensations. Uh, watching, I remember Scream Two. For some reason, it got my heart pounding uh the blood flowing but after the film was over i was in this weird kind of euphoric state as if i was more relaxed uh maybe more so than i've ever i've ever been uh as i've over the years since i've saw scream 2 when it first came out i i felt the same way with other like intense thrillers or emotional dramas and i think it might be safe to say in my opinion that the feelings that these people help you know, with coping with anxiety or releasing stress isn't only relegated to horror films, but it can be also with any movie with some kind of pulse pounding or intense effect, even hardcore action films. But what do you you think about all this?
1: I mean, it's certainly fascinating. I had never heard of this scenario, and I certainly didn't even realize that this uh, affected you in this particular regard. But I guess... I mean, I could, I, it seems counterintuitive, but I can see how it would work. You're already feeling anxious, nervous. You're, you can channel all that anxiety into a horror movie because the horror movie is designed to raise those levels and make you scared and bring new forms of anxiety and thrills to you. You can also transfer some of your anxiety to those characters in the films. And at the end of it, it's kind of cathartic. I mean, I, i'm no scientist clearly or doctor but at least just from a layman's perspective i could see how that would logically carry over so i don't know maybe they should actually do some real scientific research and try some studies see what happens it's better than medication right so
3: absolutely true uh and then my final piece of news A little bit of uh, the Conjuring franchise update, since I know we're, for the most part, fans of the franchise, uh, with the exception of The Nun and possibly the first Annabelle movie. Uh, But DeadlineHollywood.com, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga to reprise Conjuring roles as the Warrens in third Annabelle movie. This is an exclusive for Deadline. For the first time in the Conjuring universe, the Ed and Lorraine Warren characters will appear in one of the film series spin off titles, Gary Doberman's Untitled Annabelle Project. To date, the paranormal investigators have appeared in the core Conjuring 1 and 2 movies. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmega will return to play Ed and Lorraine, but as we understand it, they'll be in a supporting capacity in the Annabelle 3 quill. Annabelle 3, the sixth title in the Conjuring franchise, picks up with the Warrens bringing the Annabelle doll to a place where she can no longer wreak havoc, their artifacts room. Annabelle awakens the room's evil, which sets its sights on a new target, the Warrens' 10-year-old daughter Judy. The young girl, along with her teenage babysitter cousin and the cousin's friend, friend, square off against the evil doll. If you remember 2013's The Conjuring, Annabelle is one of the Warrens' early signature cases. The doll is owned by two young nurses who start noticing small, odd things, such as her arms and legs moving. Ultimately, Annabelle starts shattering picture frames, leaving crayon-written notes like miss me, and scribbling all over the walls. Turns out there was a young girl named Annabel Higgins who died in the nurse's apartment, and they allowed the spirit to take possession of the doll. As previously announced, McKenna Grace will play Judy, while Madison Iceman also stars. Doberman, who wrote the script for The New Line Project, will be making his directorial debut. James Wan is producing for Atomic Monster, and Peter Saffron is producing for The Saffron Company. Deadline Hollywood's Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga to reprise Conjuring roles as the Warrens in third Annabelle movie. Obviously, two of the highlights of The Conjuring is... Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. They bring some gravitas to these films because not only are they good actors, they're they're both attractive to look at. They just fit nicely into these films. I don't really think it means anything that they're in this movie, considering they both had tiny, tiny, tiny cameos in The Nun, and it added nothing to the flick. In fact, Their mere presence within the story was a little hammy and and ridiculous. Matt, are you excited at all for a third Annabelle movie? Does this make it more palatable if you weren't looking forward
1: to it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess. I guess. I'm I'm concerned because I think that the franchise is... Basically out of steam at this point. Doesn't really have anywhere to go. And I don't know that there can be any more good to come of it. But, but, I will definitely be more open-minded after hearing that. That's all I have to say about that.
3: (laughs) We still haven't have not got a movie where you see them actually... Taking on the case. Well, I guess shed, was that the beginning of Conjuring? Did the did the first oh, Conjuring the begin the first with it? one. I thought so. Oh, maybe so. But I bet now they're wishing they can just erase that because that would have been probably a better standalone movie for the Warrens than it being just
1: all these prequels. If the Halloween series has taught us anything, just fucking retcon it. And <laughs> it didn't happen. That's all you gotta do. You know, in speaking of
3: Halloween, I think we're going to ha- both have a lot of grievances with that film, so we might need to mosey on over that way. I, we've been
1: hinting yes. at it quite a bit throughout the entire episode. Agreed. All right, then. Here we go, folks. It's the movie we we <laughs> This week's movies. Oh, as quick, quick announcement. Uh, next week we won't be having a news episode. We'll be having a very uh, special discussion episode about the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein. But this week's movies are Halloween, Ginger Snaps, The Company of were, I'm sorry, The Company of Wolves, and The Curse of the Werewolf. And I guess, well, without further ado, we're starting with 2018's Halloween. Testing one, two, three.
2: We're on. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night and has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see.
0: Everyone in my family, like, turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered.
3: Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those
2: babysitters? No,
0: it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape?
2: Belle, did you do that for?
0: So I can kill him. Dad, look
2: out! The bus crashed. Mom? What bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello?
0: He's waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out the room! Get inside! You don't believe in the Boogeyman? he's here Michael you should can you close
2: the closet door
1: alright 2018 American slasher films directed by David Gordon Green written by Green Jeff Fradley and Danny McBride yes Danny McBride the one you're thinking of Eastbound and Down and other comedic works worked with Will Ferrell a lot yeah that Danny McBride This is actually the 11th installment in the Halloween film series and a direct sequel to the 1978 film of the same name because they are retconning the continuity of the previous sequels. This one is set literally 40 years after the original film, and Laurie Strode is preparing for Michael Myers to return because she knows that he's he has to come back. Until she's personally killed him, he has to come back. Um and shenanigans ensue the movie happens there's not real. i don't really want to get into the plot too much to rehash everything other than to say um it is a he he's going from his mental hospital to an actual maximum security prison and in the transfer there's an there's a bus accident and that's how he gets out um jamie lee curtis is picking up again as laurie strode and they're they're literally treating this like every other halloween movie did not happen except for the first one which means they have retconned out her being his sister basically he just chose to follow her because he chose to follow her uh, in the first movie Uh, she's obviously had ptsd this whole time and it costs her her daughter. It costs her every significant relationship she's had um, and what have you. When Michael Myers strikes back and attacks, of course, he ultimately finds her and her daughter. And, of course, her granddaughter, who's a teenager in this one. And kind of the plot device that helps us get around to the young kids that need to be killed for this movie. I... I I did not like this movie. I want to make it clear that I had an absolutely horrible, horrible audience experience. However, that does not bear into this review. Literally, there were people vaping. Everybody had their phones on. It's like, I don't even understand what the fuck is the point of this. People are getting up. People are talking. Someone brought a six-year-old kid, even though the theater says they're not supposed to. But, yeah. Uh, brought a six-year-old kid to the fucking Halloween, uh, because that's appropriate. It was just a fucking nightmare. I was so angry at AMC when I left. I, I plan, I plan on sending an, a very sternly worded letter. I, I, I truly, I truly hope that there is a special spot in hell. Did someone say hell? Shut up, Satan. You're later. For these people. Because, oh my fucking God, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Get some fucking decency. I swear to... Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I Okay. Anyway, back to the movie. The movie has one shining point, One shining point for me. And that is the score. Carpenter returned to do the score and worked hand-in-hand hand with the director to recut stuff remaster stuff develop new material for the score and so despite all of the film's failings the score is really good is really really well done and very well utilized throughout the film i do think that the, the minor criticism was a little bit of a heavy reliance on the major halloween piano riff that you know but They also took great pains to kind of alter the pitch and the tone and the tempo when necessary. So at least they tried to keep it fresh in that regard. Uh, the best parts of the score for me were really the, was really the synth score that was happening in the background. Definitely kind of gave that original Halloween feel. Beyond that, the movie just, It's retconned itself so many times that it's hard to take anything going on seriously. You don't know what is going to have an impact anymore because if it's just going to be undone in the next installment, why do I need to care? And if you're trying to create one final bookend, which let's face it, with this movie making as much money as it has at this point, they're going to make another one then there then you need to put something in the game you've got to have some skin in the game there's got to be something there that you can actually have and relate to it's got to mean something and nothing does absolutely nothing does Everything in the film, even the things that make the plot happen, the point of the story. Like, for example, Lori has destroyed her relationship with her daughter in this point. She lost her to CPS at the age of 12 due to all the crazy shit she was having to do. They were building a fortress and uh, building this impenetrable thing to protect from Michael Myers. And it cost her her relationship. She does not, like Judy Greer plays her daughter, and uh, Andy uh matachak plays alice and her granddaughter now so judy Greer's character karen doesn't have much respect for her mother and she thinks that she's crazy she thinks she's an alcoholic she thinks that she's someone who uh, admittedly needs help and would like to see her get help but just simply has had enough i mean putting up with this crap for her whole life of nearly 40 years and and to that extent that's good character development but it's immediately undone when lori is proven right oh michael myers escaped well instead of coming to terms with that it's briefly touched on and loosely played on with a twist by the time that the finale happens and it never means anything just because it's like it doesn't really settle any of the scores that are happening. It also leads into the whole typical, not, and I would, I would love to honor this franchise and this film series by saying archetypal, but instead it's stereotypical. Everybody's making stupid fucking mistakes. I don't see how someone can build a fucking house designed to lure, trap, and kill Michael Myers and then have a room with fucking mannequins in it with closets that are double-doored, blinded uh, closets that are never open. Like, wouldn't you always leave closet doors open? Because if you leave the closet doors open, then you automatically know that if the closet door is closed, someone's in there. So then you can just fill the fucking thing full of lead and then open the door. No, 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 no. Let's go walk right up to the door and stick the barrel of the gun in there and wait for someone to jump out at us. I mean, this is a woman who's supposed to be been prepar- supposedly been preparing this for 40 fucking years. It's things like that. This whole movie is filled with things like this, one after another after another. Uh, the, th- th- there's a pointless babysitting scene with a cute smart mouth kid who is, who knows about drugs and pot and everything and look i get it life is real life is hard there are kids who things pot's not a terrible thing or anything like that but they're making they've got a little nine-year-old kid in here acting like he's 13 14 and this is somehow supposed to be funny and on the same level as the girl who's who's his babysitter so does it make it okay to put him here and use this as kind of an exposition to or a, pl- a plot device to put michael in the house for whatever reason i don't know michael's at his best when he is randomly killing not when he's stalking and killing also i at least you know i'm am, am happy that they got nick castle who was one of the original michael myers from the first movie um he may have played him the most in the first movie, but they used at least three guys, if not four. Um, and, and again, he's not even Michael Myers, really. He's the shape and he is uncredited in the 78 film. So it was, again, kind of cool that, uh, they got Nick Castle back for that. He's, he's at his best when he's randomly killing, not when he's stalking and killing. It's, it's derivative, it's stereotypical, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't have a reason to, to have you gain any import out of it, and if you're bringing it all back and you're trying to have this thing in one big culmination, I think you should have made the character smarter. I get that people like the brutality and that people like the fact that it's a slasher film and they're kind of reliving the glory days of that. But it can't be one without being the other at this point. You've got to have the fun of the slasher, the great kills, the brutality, just the absolute over-the-top nature of someone's head getting stomped on and literally exploding. You can't have that kind of kill action and over-the-top action without having the smart characters have a reason for it to happen to them. People do make mistakes. That's fine. But play into mistakes happening or things that you couldn't qualify, things that you can't foresee. Those need to be the devices that cause the brutality. Then you've got something that's legitimately scary instead of stuff that people laugh at. One star. It's not a zero fucking star movie because there is quality in the filmmaking that in, in the physical production technical quality of the filmmaking there's quality in the score as i've said but this movie for me and i realize that i am in the vast minority here this movie for me is fucking terrible it's not a fucking zero star but it is a one star i hated it i don't think i'll ever watch it again go ahead tim what do you got
3: and truly that's the best thing about this movie is the cinematography and john Carpenter's score well it's just john Carpenter's scores john carpenter and I think his son and another guy helped with the score. It was funny, because I had a lot of time to think during the the movie, since I was not into it at all. With the original John Carpenter's Halloween, and even the second film which he scored, and to a certain degree the third Halloween film, Season of the Witch, the score is almost its own character, and that could either be taken as a compliment or a diss, because it's there, you know, like the score is always there. It's always loud. It's heavy, synthesized, and kind of distracting in moments because it's like that hard do 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 and it just gets louder and louder and louder and you hear it throughout the entire film. What I liked about the 2018 Halloween is that the score was a little bit more subdued. I saw it in the Dolby Atmos theater, and there's always a possibility that the sound was off, so maybe it was supposed to be louder and more invasive. You know, I don't know, it might have been softer in the showing that I went to, but I kind of doubt that because of the the Dolby Atmos theater. It felt more like it was accompanying the film and trying its best to give the shape more of a sinister presence. I like that. And again, the look of the film is cool. There are some really neat shots with some excellent depth where the camera follows Michael Myers and then it stops at the window of a house, like looking into the house and you're watching this woman inside doing shit. And then you just see Michael shadow walking around the house and all of a sudden he's inside the house and then he kills the woman in a brutal way. It's a really cool shot. However, it's not an effective moment at all and it's not because of the shot it's because of what happens on the screen I don't care at all about any of these characters of course I care about Laurie Strode because I love John Carpenter's original film I also really like Halloween 2 and I also really like Halloween 3 and I've also thoroughly enjoyed some of the other Halloween films so I guess I just didn't appreciate how this film felt visually progressive, possibly even tonally progressive, but then when it comes to creating something new or treading over some of the same stuff we've seen over and over again, absolutely frustrating because it's been 40 years since the first one, you know, they've been building this movie up like John Carpenter is back. He's producing the movie. He's been helping out with the movie. I find that hard to believe because we've heard John Carpenter and uh, Matt and I were talking about this during the pre-show. There is an article via the playlist.net. John Carpenter talks potential sequels, reboots of his films. I'm saying, quote, I'm up for almost anything that involves money, end quote, published on October 17th. Check it out. John Carpenter has been saying this for years. He'll say anything if there is a paycheck. He gets it, it's Hollywood. And he understands that he has a fan base. And unfortunately, with how Hollywood works, with how marketing works, and with how critics are, especially amateur critics who are now looked upon as professional critics, at least through Rotten Tomatoes, they hear about John Carpenter being so heavily involved, and it's almost like somehow... That just creates this like sheen over their eyes to where they're being fooled when they're watching the film that they're actually watching something good. I realized I wasn't going to like this movie before the beginning titles even began. You have the two British podcasters going to the penitentiary to interview Michael Myers and then to interview Laurie Strode because they're putting together some kind of mystery podcast celebrating 40 years since Michael's original Night of Terror. Just how they shoot all that stuff. In the introduction to these characters, you have the new Dr. Loomis who looks kind of like him, you know, short, fat, old, sciencey looking guy. And the same kind of cadence to his voice also, which I thought was interesting. Uh, then you have these two Really British, annoying, hipster podcasters. And when they're trying to build these intense moments, this movie utilizes quick cutting and it is frustrating. A great aspect of the original Halloween films, but especially the first Halloween film, is how shots can linger. When I mean a shot lingers, maybe they don't utilize a cut to the next setup. In, you know, at least 20 seconds. And they utilize that in a way in the film when you are following Michael Myers throughout the neighborhood or at least to another house... But a lot of the times, to build up dread, they utilize quick cutting, and it's fucking frustrating. Quick cutting and music just getting louder and louder and louder, and this is what happens at the beginning of the film. And then it goes to Halloween, and it shows this deflated pumpkin inflating itself, and even the editing, the cut to that just didn't work. The movie just felt like it was on the wrong beat the entire time. Uh, Another heavy negative aspect, it doesn't actually feel like it was a Halloween-themed film, as in the holiday, as in trick-or-treating Halloween. Because there's no real build-up to Halloween, nobody's ever really talking about Halloween, and you go from, like, a morning day shot to all of a sudden, it's Halloween and Michael Myers is walking down the street. There's no sense of, like, Halloween lore, or ooh, watch out for the boogeyman. And then at the same time, when it comes to sex and horror movies like this it felt like they were trying to appease say maybe i don't know like the the me too movement or to be at least you know aware of that stuff but then also they were trying to make these digs at guys and trying to be maybe a little scandalous which then brings me to the use of the little boy that's being babysat apparently the highlight of this movie is this little boy Well, that's not good when the highlight of a Halloween Michael Myers movie is a smart mouthed kid who is aware of the horrible shit that's going on. He just needs to get out of the house and he cusses and he's not even in the movie for maybe what, like five minutes. That should not be a highlight of a Michael Myers movie, especially not the main highlight of the Michael Myers movie. And then the last thing I want to say, the Strode family has been planning on Michael Myers' return for 40-some-odd years, and it doesn't even matter if her daughter just kind of shushes her, or the granddaughter is a little skeptic, but if you were those characters, and you were aware of how this person affected your grandmother and therefore fucked up your family, if you have the shot, take the fucking shot. There's a scene when, uh, I don't want to go into spoiler territory here, but when the granddaughter finds herself in the backseat of a cop car with an unconscious Michael Myers. Wouldn't you think that if you were one of the only sympathetic family members to Laurie Strode that maybe you would kill Michael Myers? If you had the chance and there is nothing stopping her. But instead, you fall into the same bullshit horror tropes that we've seen in every other Halloween movie where you take it for granted that he'll die in a fire and you decide to leave the scene without witnessing it, even though the entire character of Laurie Strode in this film has been building herself up as... The person that is going to see it through. She is going to watch Michael Myers die in the worst fucking way possible. You know, like, and, and that doesn't happen. Like, nobody follows through with the morals and their stance that their character has implemented, I guess, earlier on in the film. It, it's just fucking frustrating. But hey, it looks and sounds good. So 1.5 out of 5 for me. Uh, if you're a huge fan of the first film, I wouldn't recommend it. Now that we're done with that, let's get into this.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, well, now we're going to move directly into two thousand ones ginger snaps so uh fits
0: i think we should get together no out
1: by 16 or dead in the scene but together forever united against life as we know it
2: let's get out of here
1: What was it? A big dog, maybe?
0: Whoa. Whoa?
1: That's it? Whoa? Think you
0: see werewolves a lot? Did I change last night? How with the moon? How do you feel? Wicked. This is a very confusing time for your sister. Ah! Boys, your body, trying to fit in. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, look Who's the guy here? I think
2: mean, she's pretty. If I wasn't here, would you eat her? Poor
0: I'm growing up, and obviously you're not.
2: Oh, my God. You think I want to go back to being nobody? You're so dead. They're just being normal teenage girls. I'm not dying in this room with you! I think she's
0: gone.
1: Right, we got a Canadian horror film directed by John Fawcett. This film basically focuses on two teenage sisters who have a fascination with death. And believe it or not, this is actually the first installment in the Ginger Snaps series. It's followed by Ginger Snaps 2 Unleashed and Ginger Snaps Back, The Beginning. We are only covering this first one. Uh, this is a interesting movie. I, I don't know if it technically qualifies as a low budget film. Um, it, film budget was roughly in the neighborhood of four and a half million. So, I mean, I guess, you know, lower budget, but, um, it's actually a pretty entertaining premise. You've got a couple of kids, uh, sisters, Bridget and Ginger, who love to take pictures and photos. They're definitely into the idea of death and, and all of, all that that entails. They've even made a pact to die together they're out one night when unfortunately ginger gets bitten by a dog and uh or by something that's attacking dogs rather sorry and the the thing that gets attacked that, that attacks her ends up getting hit by a truck and now she is kind of going through these changes and moods and by god she might just be a werewolf here and uh shenanigans ensue i i you know what this movie despite its age uh, is uh and i guess relatively low budget status per se is actually pretty inventive i uh, i would say that it probably hasn't aged super well i know we technically would need 20 years not 17 18 on this but um I, I don't think it's necessarily aged particularly well, but I do think it's a fun and inventive look at how you can advance the horror story of the werewolf mythos in a new and refreshing way, especially in a more up to date way. I think that the, uh, the kills are pretty good. I am also impressed with the I mean even with the acting the acting is is really decent for what it is I I, I keep coming back to you know like kind of qualifying a bit but it, it's just mainly because I don't necessarily believe it's aged spectacularly well but I I think the premise is good the acting is good the special effects are pretty decent And I was pleasantly surprised by this. I think that horror aficionados especially will enjoy this movie. But I think that even if you are only a casual observer, this is probably, this is actually a good Halloween movie for you as well. And I give this one a 3.5 out of 5. So take it away, Tim.
3: This is a solid three star movie for me. I enjoyed it. It was actually my first time watching it. However, I've been hearing about Ginger Snaps for at least 10 years or so, and I've been wanting to check it out and I'm actually pretty surprised. There are some great werewolf movies out there, and it seems like they're all consistently entertaining. Actually, I'm going to update my score from a 3 to a 3.5 as well. The reason why I'm giving it a 3.5 despite thoroughly enjoying it is that it's definitely a product of the early 2000s. And... It also takes place on, on. Well, it does. It takes place on Halloween, especially the last act of the film. However, the movie doesn't relish on the holiday theming at all. You can't just say, oh, it's Halloween without going into it a little bit more. However, as the movie went on, I started thinking that maybe that could have been the point of the film, that since these two young women are coming of age. They're kind of like your off-kilter goth kids that we all had in our high schools. I guess unless you went to high school in the in the 50s and you probably didn't have these off-kilter goth kids. I'd be super surprised if you did. And I would love to know which fucking high school you went to that had these off-kilter goth kids at. They're not, I mean, I I don't see them really relishing in any holiday, except Halloween, since that is a gothic, lore-filled time of the year. And I guess I call it a holiday, but maybe it's not necessarily a holiday. So I would have liked more of that. But the movie focuses more so on the relationship between these two girls. It is a coming-of-age film. I thought it was interesting how they used werewolf, Isms, or what is the study of werewolves? Ly- like lycanthropy, lycanthropy? Lycanthropy, thank you. They use that as a parallel with puberty. This girl is starting I think she's like 15 or 16 and she's going heavy on the period or just about to begin her menstrual cycle and she's experiencing shit with boys and when she starts becoming a werewolf you know the the rumblings of becoming a werewolf she becomes very sexually aggressive and the counselors the other boys Mimi Rogers plays the mother who I thought was a wonderful addition to this film I love those curly bangs those fried looking curly bangs she had but everybody thinks that this young woman is just growing up this is her induction into womanhood and i thought those parallels was very interesting in how they utilized it it's difficult to tell where this movie what this movie is building up to because it takes a little while to get there and when the movie does get there during its third act it's pretty intense and it's awfully impressive the horror effects are cheesy but they're effective enough. They work wonderfully for this film. I am very interested in watching Ginger Snaps 2 at some point because I hear that one is just as good. So I give it a 3.5 out of 5. Definitely something worth checking out. There's a lot more to chew on than your standard horror flick from the early 2000s.
1: Right on, right on. All right, well, then that brings us directly into The Company of Wolves.
0: A family pet. A bedtime story, the familiar landscape of childhood. You have to come out sometime. You can't sulk in there forever. Where witches and wolves are the forces of evil. Where good will triumph and all will end happily. Your granny spoils you. She makes you think you're something special. That red shirt. But this is no fairy tale. (coughs) This is where legend ends and survival begins. Where the dreams of childhood hold no promise of a happy ending.
2: Big eyes, you The worst kind
0: of wolves are hairy on the inside. And when they bite you, they drag you with them to hell. Did I scare you? I am sorry. When I killed it, it was a wolf. And then before my very eyes. Neither child nor adult. Wolf nor human. This is the twilight world. ...which lies between the pages of any fairy tale. My, what big arms do you have? To deny it is to kill the child that lives within us all. To enter it is to kill the dreams of childhood. Jesus, what big teeth you have! Did no! you hear a story like that? Not a story, but God's honest truth. The company of wolves. They are all the company we keep, even in our dreams.
1: Right, got a 1984 British gothic fantasy horror film,s directed by Neil Jordan and stars uh, Sarah Patterson, Angela Lansbury, Stephen Ray, and David Warner, uh, written by Angela Carter and Jordan. This is based on a werewolf story of the same name and uh, from a short story collection called The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter as well. Um, yeah, so what we have is kind of seems to be a uh, frame... Narrative here of a girl who's dreaming that she lives in a fairy tale forest where, uh, a sister is killed by wolves and then she kind of goes to see her grandma and all of this stuff kind of, uh, leads into she's, she's warned, don't go and, you know, or be very careful of men whose eyebrows meet, right? So unibrow bad, right? Uh, at any rate, she eventually runs into said, guy but is still enchanted by him shenanigans ensue and the movie kind of goes through its fairy tale-esque state um there's a lot of interesting things happening in the movie especially there's like uh granny's tales there's different kind of nursery i don't say nursery i'm sorry kind of fairy tales and stuff woven into the narrative but the narrative itself still deals with werewolves on the whole and kind of relates it as allegories to real life, much like the original intent of fairy tales. Hence why we always see fables and stuff with a moral of the story. Um, I, I think it's an interesting concept and it's got some decent actors and actresses in it, but it's very, very, very heavily dated and i found it hard to kind of get through and it's only 95 minutes it's not a bad movie really i just don't i just think it's a victim of its time and the style as it was presented back in the early 80s i really give this one a 2.5 out of 5 it's okay it it, it is okay i can't believe I'm saying this. Maybe if they had a a remake, something to update it, because this one just, for me, hasn't aged well at all. 2.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim?
3: So this film was an early directorial effort from filmmaker Neil Jordan. He, of course, did Interview with the Vampire in the 90s, The Crying Game in the 90s. Uh, Even Michael Collins, starring Liam Neeson in 1996, Really, I honestly knew nothing about this film until I was doing some research and we, or I, was wanting to watch a lot of these werewolf movies, so I was trying to find a good mixture of all the, of course, universal, classic universal monster movies that feature the wolfman, but also I wanted to compare those movies to some of the modern representations of werewolves, and I came across this film. Not often do you find a very good or very interesting... Not only in its description, but also those who are behind the camera make the film very interesting, as in Neil Jordan, or at least appetizing, where they mix fantasy aspects and fairy tale aspects with horror. It hasn't happened all that often. When you start th- start thinking about it, one movie that I can think of where horror and fantasy kind of mash up pretty well is the Sigourney Weaver Snow White film. Matt, did you ever see that one? Where Sigourney Weaver played both, <laughs> or I, no, she was the evil queen. Funny, I forgot who story played Snow that. White.
1: We, we, uh, used to let, well, well, we still do, let the kids watch Netflix. And before we had the parental controls set up properly, learning time for parents, Libby did not get into the right part of the Netflix. And so she, she was on my Netflix by mistake and saw Snow White. And she's like, oh, it's a Snow White movie. And so she played, and it's the, it's the R-rated Sigourney Weaver one. And Jen comes in. She's like, what are you watching? Libby's, like, scared out of her mind sitting on the couch. <laughs> come to think of it, maybe that's why she was scared of Goosebumps. I don't know. Um, but that's as close as we've ever come to see the Sigourney Weaver one. But I thought that was a funny story.
3: I remember when it first came out, my grandfather was has always been into Disney animation. His My grandfather's favorite film was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, of course. And he has, like, this old book from the mid-'80s, this animation book, beautiful, beautiful book. And all of the old men, the original animators, signed this book. So he's into Disney, and he always wanted to work for Walt Disney. When that movie came out, we rented it, and it came out, I think, in 1997-ish, 96, 97. So I was maybe eight or nine, and it was a Friday night. My grandparents, I went over to their house, my grandparents' house. We had pizza, so we're eating pizza, and they put in this movie, and they quickly turned it off <laughs> once they realized what it was, because it's a very grim, bleak film. But anyways, so The Company of Wolves, so it's directed by Neil Jordan, it's a, I think, beautiful film. Uh, the cop, the version I saw of it, is an old DVD. the The transfer quality is not great. I would love to see a Blu-ray or a 4K scan of this movie. I think the colors are fantastic. I think the set pieces and the tone and the feeling of this film is just wonderful. Personally, I think it's a beautiful film with some story and structural problems for instance i had to go back and re-watch the beginning of the movie and some of the lead-ins to these stories for me to fully understand what was going on i think i might have been still getting like settled down when the beginning where it quickly brushes past the uh the setup of it's actually a girl in modern times having a dream um, and throughout the movie, they show like snippets of the modern girl in bed. But then again, the modern girl plays the Red Riding Hood character, and it's just if you are not sure what the hell is going on, it's very confusing. But never once was I bored with this film. I thought casting Angela Lansbury as the grandmother was a wonderful casting decision. I have not seen her play a role like this. Ever so it was, <laughs> I it was fun. I I enjoyed it. So it's a very cool movie, well worth at least a watch. As for a werewolf film, where Ginger Snaps, it was kind of a film about puberty. This was Roger Ebert mentioned it, and I thought he nailed the the subtext of what this movie is trying to tackle on the head. It's actually a tell of the fearsomeness of sexuality. And this movie, a heavy theme of the film, is sexuality. It's nothing blatant. It's not exhibitionism. It's not an extreme film. It's seriously an adult fairy tale. And in some way, it kind of felt like I was watching Labyrinth, where it's very mystical feeling. So four out of five. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Find a copy. Hopefully there is a better version than an old DVD version it'll be well worth the pickup or rental
1: right on right on all right that is going to leave us with 1961's the curse of the werewolf the curse of the werewolf
0: that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster In this Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf. A man possessed by a desperate need for love who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me or will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, will you marry me?
2: Yes. Yes, I will. Help, Help me!
0: Get away! Get away! No. Get away! No! no.
1: Yeah, British horror film based on the novel The Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor. The film was made actually by British company Hammer Films and was shot at Brace Studios. Now, um Oliver Reed also, uh, well, let's see here. It's Clifford Evans, Oliver Reed, uh Yvonne Romain, Catherine Feller, Anthony Dawson, and Michael Ripper star. And this was actually Oliver Reed's first starring role in a film. So how's that for you? Now, this is actually set in 18th century Spain. And it it's kind of a... a it kind of jumps a bit because basically we have a guy who was trapped in a jail by a cruel and evil marquee who falls in love with this mute chick. And then, uh, the mute chick is hit on and she doesn't like that by the evil marquee. And so she ends up in jail. She ends up getting raped and then, uh, gets pregnant and then she gives birth to a boy on Christmas day. And then this boy is kind of adopted by these other people, who love him but are worried about him because it's unlucky to be born on christmas day and given all the stuff that had happened to him whatever so he ends up growing up and kind of being this you know born as a werewolf as it were and it's kind of the shenanigans ensue of him dealing with all of the things that are going on and trying to get past his lycanthropy as we're saying um this movie is it is a definitely a hammer film and definitely a product of the sixties, but um I, I think that there's still there there's definitely decent special effects to be had in this movie. I'm not a super huge fan of the story format, but I think the acting is really good and the characters carry it off and the acting blah, blah, blah. sorry the actors and actresses carry the characters fairly well that combined with the aforementioned special effects i give this one a three solid entry liked it and would this would definitely be one of those ones if you're you know you got the tv on in the background and it pops on you would definitely leave it on and watch it three out of five bring us home there tim I believe it was
3: last year, or a couple years ago, we covered, I think it was the other Hammer film, The Curse of Frankenstein, with Peter Cushing. If I remember correctly, you enjoyed that one significantly more,
1: right? Yes, I believe you are correct.
3: For those of you who are not familiar with Hammer films, especially Hammer horror films, uh, they were a series of kind of low and what became mid-budget flicks that were produced in the UK between, you know, within like the 60s and 70s. They did some werewolf movies. They're known for their Dracula flicks starring Christopher Lee. Uh, and there's also the Peter Cushing Frankenstein movies. And they were known for taking these classic horror characters and creating them for a 60s and 70s audience by using sex, nudity, blood gore, you know, more mature themes and elements. Definitely a wonderfully bizarre mirror of the universal classic horror movies i thought they did a great job at for the most part at updating these characters for these modern audiences that are just by this time and especially in the 60s and 70s that are just clamoring for more mature flicks uh, horror flicks especially when when you're dealing with a dracula character who sucks the blood of victims and seeks out young impressionable women to turn into vampires Now, as for The Curse of the Werewolf from 1961, this was Oliver Reed's first prominent film role. He would, of course, go on to star in Tommy as the dad. He would be Bill Sykes in Oliver. I thought Oliver Reed was a good choice uh, for this role. He will be known later on in his film career as an actor that women were either transfixed by or afraid of he was cast either as the womanizer or the enchanter of women he could either seduce or terrorize ladies Oliver Reed is an interesting choice because you're supposed to feel bad for this character. Believe it or not, it actually works because this was his first film and he hasn't developed that persona yet. So if you have an issue with Oliver Reed, you can actually feel bad for him in this film. This was also very much a fairy tale take on the werewolf story where true love or strong love can suppress the werewolf transformation. And I think this aspect of werewolf lore is quite interesting because it makes for an even more interesting relationship between Leon, which is Oliver Reed's character and his parents, as well as an interesting relationship between Leon and Christina, his love interest. They know that their love will suppress, especially the parents. They know that their love will suppress the, him turning into him, transforming to a werewolf. And so There has to be that constant love there. And also, there is then that sense of responsibility, especially that father has, that when his son does turn into a werewolf and is possibly killing people, it's up to him to stop the werewolf. It's a very interesting dynamic that that just little change in werewolf lore makes for this type of film. As well as with many of the other Hammer Horror films, The Curse of the Werewolf is colorful. It's boisterous. It's risque. Uh, I thought the werewolf makeup was especially neat because it actually still looked very much like Oliver Reed. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a nice werewolf movie to end our werewolf movie series on, and honestly, I thought it was one of the better costumes. I thought it was some of the most effective makeup work. However, the transitions were were not there at all. Like you never really saw him transforming into a werewolf. I give The Curse of the Werewolf a 3.5 out of 5. If you're a Hammer Whore fan, you got to check it out. If you're interested in werewolf flicks, and that's it. 3.5 out of 5.
1: And I believe that does bring us to the end of the movies, though. Correct, sir? That is correct. All right. Well, then I think we're down to the spiel. Spiel on.
0: Oh, it's Jordis. I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him.
2: All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine?
0: Just hang, loose blood. she gonna catch up with the the out of the med side. What it is, Big Mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Copy some slack, Jack. Hey, hey, Jack it's see cutting thing, Chomp. Chomp don't wanna help. Chomp don't get to help. Say, can't huh? hang, say, seven up. Jive, ass dude, don't got no brains in it.
1: Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at com and facebook.com, both, slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track on Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always follow us on iTunes and follow us on the Stitcher Radio and follow us on the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories, and, of course, in Until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jamie Lee Curtis, I get to say this. I believe that life is hard, that we are all going to walk through things that are hard and challenging, and yet advertising wants us to believe that it's all easy. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you
3: again next week.
0: Madam? Perhaps we should be going? Oh, well, monsieur.
3: Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, right, monsieur.
0: Monsieur!